This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG 13. Welcome to Fright School. Are you ready? Class is in session. Welcome back to Fright School. Hello, Joe. Hi, Joshua. How you doing? I'm I'm okay. Are you okay? Yes, that you're going to be all right. I mean, well, we'll talk about it, but yes, right. We'll talk. You we'll know, talk. we'll talk. You're going to need to start um, seriously considering a therapist. I think. You know, I am in therapy, <laughs> but I've not talked yet about the show. Ah, wow, and what it's done to me. But it might be time. It might be. That was a, that was a rough one to get through. But anyways, uh, let's say hello to our special guest in the studio today. We have the lovely Mike, our dear friend, um, awesome. Awesome guy in a lot of ways, uh, doing the musics, uh, building the sets for things, the theatrical things, <laughs> all around awesome dad. Good Thanks guy. for having me, guys. <laughs> Hello, Mike. We're very Welcome. excited. We're very excited to have you. Yes, finally. finally be here. Yeah, yeah. We've been trying and to... what a movie. Right, yeah. <laughs> yes. We're going we're gonna to get a nice deep dive into all that. Happy uh, Valentine's Day. <laughs> right, yes. This is kind of our, our Valentine's episode. You know, yes. love, love hurts. Um, that's, that's the takeaway. Uh, anyway, so before we dive into that, let's, any, any fun horror news, uh, Jordan Peele, the, uh, Twilight series, uh, or Twilight Zone series trailer just came out. That's going to be on CBS All Access. Did you watch that? I did. It looks really good. Yeah, I'm excited. I love anything with Sanaa Lathan, so, you know, I'm, I'm just, I'm all here. There I'm we all go. here for her. Write that down, folks. Remember yeah. that. Did you see it yet? Mm-mm. No. Uh, it looks really good. I liked a lot of the references to like earlier twi- Twilight Zone episodes. Um, Adam, uh, I think Adam Scott, right? Yeah, in the plane. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah, so good. Yeah, it looks like they're going to revamp some of the old episodes, but then there should be new content as well. So I'm very new stories. I mean, uh, so I'm very excited about that. Uh, what else do we got? Um, th- we were just talking about Netflix, the haunting of Hill house. They got a second season. Yeah. They're going to do a new, a uh, new season with uh, a whole new story. They're saying, uh, Netflix, the haunting will return. Ugh, we'll return to 2020 with a whole new story. Hmm. It's exciting. If you enjoyed that. <laughs> <laughs> Those anthology shows are really kind of the thing right now. There's, yeah. There's a lot of them where they're realizing we can do a single one-off story and then still have it be popular, come back and do it again, but all new, all new story. 
Yeah, well, I think it kind of speaks to our overall uh, lack of an attention span. <laughs> it's like, you know, give me, you know, eight good episodes of something and then move on. You know, I, I just feel like we're kind of, that really speaks to sort of the way our culture is now. Somebody posted a meme the other day that I, that I felt, um, personally attacked by, <laughs> uh, it was, um, Share share a movie that I can watch while also um, being on my phone the entire time, <laughs> <laughs> but that I can still follow. And I'm like, that's that's what we're you know competing with, folks. You know, that's yeah. movies have to be able to 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 keep our attention because otherwise we're just on our phone the whole time. Mm-hmm. Well, yes, very interesting. This this movie come in like, what's this movie about? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> but there's still something to be said about like actually going to a theater, like a movie theater. Of course, yeah. Because it's like I don't I'm not on my phone. I'm very aware that like I've of how much I shut my phone off when during actually seeing it in a theater. Oh, definitely. But like yeah. it's but to your point about watching home viewings, it's so difficult for me to not like want to check my phone or whatever because of the like where we are. Well, yeah, it's like I'm just laying in bed, you know, I want to check. I just finished rewatching because I, um, I was a big fan of the series Dexter. And I've seen the first four seasons, I don't know how many times each, you know, several, several run-throughs. But I haven't really watched, like, the Lumen season and, you know, the, the, the later ones. I only watched them, like, when they were new. And usually I would I watch the episodes again because we've always done that when we have, like, our hosting nights where we're, we'll watch the other, whatever the last week's episode or two is before. So that was it. So I was just rewatching them. But it was, like in that vein, like where I could just put it on. I know what's going on. So I could be on my phone playing games or, you know, reading, reading articles for this or doing other like research or school stuff while it's on. Um, I don't know. It's just, I've become that. And, um, (laughs) she's getting a new show. Um, the woman who plays Deb. Oh yeah. Jennifer, Uh, um, Carpenter. Yeah. Jennifer Carpenter. She's getting a new show. She's getting, um, uh, a show on NBC, I think. Uh, yeah, she's like some kind of secret agent or something that like, she's divulges. A, she's a criminal who is apparently our greatest asset. <laughs> she's yeah. the greatest asset. Well, she gives national secrets to save her child. Yeah, and is now that's like a is. Snowden kind of a character. Ooh, okay. Yeah, have you seen it? Is it on? I've yet? seen oh, the trailers, the trailers, but I haven't seen the show. I don't know that it's started yet, but it oh. looks intriguing. I saw yeah. her, and I was like, oh, hey. Yeah, I like her a lot because I mean she was great in like The Exorcism of Emily Rose, and I loved her as Deb in in Dexter. Although rewatching it, I remembered like what a just a raw deal her character. It's so it's like so sad, you know, because she's just so I never put upon. Saw, I never saw the ending. I have yet to see the finale because I heard uh, so many negative things that I know, just never bothered to watch the finale. Yeah, I mean, I it was nice to rewatch it just because I had forgotten so many things, and um, you know. But yeah, it was very, her whole story is tragic, but you know, like so many of the women in that show, it's a lot of tragic ending for the good women who like mother Dexter throughout the, this, the series, which Deb is definitely one of those as a, as a sister, you know, as a family, as a, as a female family member. I mean, she's motherly too. Yeah. She helps protect him. I mean, she helps in the end when she finds out, she still shields him, protects him from, uh, you know, everybody finding out he's a serial murderer. Yeah. Serial killer. Anyways. <laughs> yeah, that looks good. I, I would like to see that. Um, I was going to say the new, I've recently been um, subscribing to Rue Morgue. You know, they, um, which I just read too that Fangoria, I guess, is back in print edition, which is kind of exciting. That's very exciting. Yeah. That's really yeah, cool. I just saw a, I'm an ad for that 
earlier today or yesterday, and I, which I was excited because I get Room Morgue as, as a digital. So their new episode, or their new episode, that's what we're <laughs> thinking of these now, uh, their new issue is out. And I'm really excited because one of the things is the, uh, the new dawn of black horror, which we've been talking about, the horror noir documentary that just came out. And um, yeah, it's called, the article is called Darkest Dawn by Benoit Black. <laughs> it's like, okay, whatever. They were, you know, they, they had a. Um, I hope that's a real person's name, <laughs> right? Yeah, but it's interesting. It's like 2017 may have been the year that racially conscious horror broke into the mainstream, but 2019 is the year it takes over, and so it's just like examining us and um, oh, the you know the upcoming Candyman remake, which we're going to watch uh, very soon for for, for this uh, for the for Fight School. It's going to come out next June, June 12th, 2020. Huh. That's with Jordan Peele developing it. But it was actually... Okay, it's going to be directed by somebody else, though. Uh, there was something I read in here. Anyways. Uh, so that's kind of cool. So I'm looking forward to reading that because we're going to sit down and watch that horror noir documentary uh, soon. And uh, so I just saw that and wanted to tie it in, encourage people to watch that as well. Yeah, absolutely. What a fascinating uh, career arc. Huh? For Jordan Peele, yeah, yeah, considering where he started, and I, I heard that he picked up the rights to Lovecraft Country, which was that I think I told you about it, the Matt Ruff book that came out last year, mm. and it was an awesome book. And after well, Get Out, uh-huh. that was the film, yeah. right? Um, after Get Out, um, he was sort of looking for his next project, and Lovecraft Country came out, and it was. Um, uh, announced that he had gotten the rights, and so it's very exciting to think that he might be bringing that to somewhere to the screen. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I'm curious. It's a great story, and it, it'd be really it's exciting for me because I've been a Matt Ruff fan for years and years since the early '90s, and so it's exciting to think that this might be his his big break. And so many of his books that I would love to have seen as a film or a series might just be over the horizon if this one hits it off. What do you think they're going to develop it as? As a, as a the uh, the word I heard is a film. It would be awesome as a series because yeah. it definitely has the depth of character to last as even just a, a one off, like season. a ten episode yeah, or eight episode. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I just I think that's a brilliant idea, especially with books, like adapting them to you know a short mini series, like they did with. Um, uh, shoot, sharp objects. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, with Amy Adams, it's like that's you know I think a really good way to adapt you know work that's like that that's sure. deep and. Um, you know, there's just so much more space that you can work with in, in a TV series. So yeah, that'd be curious. What's the, what's the, like the blurb? What, what's it about Lovecraft country? Um, an African-American finds out that he has possible blood ties to, um, Lovecraft. And oh. there's, there's this whole like secret society of, um, what is it? The Eldritch, yeah, that sort of mysticism. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's really hard to get into because it's a really complex story. Okay, but, but yeah. the the main characters are all these African American characters during a time where racism is is really rampant and it's a very volatile uh, time in the country. And it's just huh. it was just a really great great book, hmm. incredibly well written, wonderful story, compelling as all hell, funny at times. All right, well, I'll definitely look it up. Sounds interesting, and I love stuff with like Lovecraft. Yeah, that sounds great. Um, so let's see. Before we dive in with our more of our uh, interview of Mike, um, I did have like a correction corner. 
Oh. <laughs> we haven't had these in a while. Only because I can't remember. I know, right? Only if I only if I can't remember. It's like I'm sure I've mentioned it on the show before. But anyways, last night I was watching The Others, you know, with with the little Miss Nicole Kidman. Yes. Nikki Kidman. Nikki Kidman. For some reason, I've thought all these years, I think that movie came out in what, like the early 2000s, 99, uh-huh, 2000, uh-huh. 2001, something along there. I've thought for years that it was a um, If Night Shyamalan movie. Hmm. Okay. Because of like the choices. And I don't know. I mean, I saw it when I was like 14 or 15. And for some reason, I've always thought it was an M. Night Shyamalan movie. And I think I've even said that. I've included it in talks about M. Night Shyamalan on this show. I can't okay. exactly remember. Uh, but it's not. It's by Alejandro, or it's directed by Alejandro Aminabar. Aminabar. Okay. So I just wanted to publicly apologize to him for attributing his work for years. <laughs> to M. Night Shyamalan? To M. Night Shyamalan. <laughs> Mr. Minibar, sorry it wasn't recognized. <laughs> sorry. Like, right. It's like, it's not Shyamalama Ding Dong, it's uh, Minibar. Got yeah, it. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> Anyways, I just I was watching it last night and I saw that it directed by it and I was like, oh my gosh, I've thought for years that this was an M. Night Shyamalan thing. Just because, again, it's it reminds me of The Village and those kind of movies. It's like the same sort of atmospheric you know stuff and then the big twist i just for some reason all these years i thought it was uh, that it was an m night Shyamalan movie so i felt bad wanted to correct that i'm pretty sure i've mentioned i've said that on you know i maybe yeah maybe somebody hate tweeted us and we just missed it <laughs> yeah you know we because we were just so good at the twitter yeah, yeah. but I, yeah because it was like getting compared to other like spanish films like i was reading something about it i was like what? that's so strange and then that's you know anyways it was this whole weird moment that happened last evening is there ever been question generally for the room besides this instance has there ever been like something where you thought it was one thing the entire like for a good chunk of your life and then you find out no it's not like i i'm i'm struggling i'm sure there's something in my head that i haven't you know been realized yet but Mm. because i feel like you know i feel like it's it's things that are easily google googleable like we can always look at the others and right it's like, oh no, it's you know Alejandro and Aritu or whatever. I don't know. I just mini bar. I mini bar. Mini. I'm in a bar. I'm in a bar. I'm in a bar. Probably saying it wrong. It I, I'm in a bar. Um, there was a film. Minibar. I can't think of what it was, but I know that there was this one movie that I always thought was a Hitchcock film, and it turns out it wasn't. And it was kind of around that. I can't for life of me. I'll have to follow up. I'll have with to you look guys. that up. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, anyways, just to get that out of the way, yes. um, uh, that's my confession. Well, on behalf of uh, uh, Alejandro and M. Night, uh, right. we, appre- we, we accept your apology. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, <laughs> I appreciate that, Joe. Uh, I can sleep again now. I will be able to successfully uh, have REM sleep. I'm glad. <laughs> anyways. All right. So we did bring Mike on today as our as our special guest lecturer. So let's dive into sort of your relationship to horror. So we met um, years ago doing the Mending Monologues, which we talked about on here, which congrats again. Thank you. Guys, fellas, on a really good show. We could go today. Yeah, yeah, we could go today. We did it. Yeah, it was very good. I, this was a really good, uh, good, uh, good script this year that's the word i'm looking for uh so we'll throw that out there as well but that's where you and i met mm-hmm. um i don't remember the first time we've talked we talked about horror though somewhere along the way you know, i think because it, it, it naturally know, comes up yeah as you're <laughs> getting to know someone these things come up and i know that yeah. uh, probably because at the old place in robinson um you had the books up and we and your movies yeah and so i think that led to a conversation about both 
Probably. Yeah. And then I know the American Horror Story kind of started up and we were watching that together. So, you know, it's just, yeah, it's very, if you're like, if you meet me, like, yeah, one of the earliest things you're going to find out is like I'm a big horror nerd. So if, you know, if you're, if you're in, then we're good. You know what I mean? Then we're yeah, both yeah, like yeah. down for horror. If not, then we'll talk about something else. This is <laughs> drag brand new information to me. What is? That you're into horror. Right. <laughs> I... I don't know. Shocked. Who, I don't know who you are. I'm gagged. Gagged. It's crack. Crack heard around the world. <laughs> anyway, so uh, we'll start with like why? Why do you think people make horror? What's your thoughts on the subject, Mike? <laughs> I think that in general you cannot well generalize. <laughs> and I, I think that everyone's imagination is different, and some people love to tell stories that inspire them through the means of the princess in the castle and the, the you know knights and all that stuff. And some people, the thing that speaks to them, their particular language artistically happens to be in the horror genre, whatever that may be. If it's like shock and, um, you know, the, the slasher flicks mm-hmm. or, or more cerebral horror, um, I think it really is just a, a language and... Um, I think it's important for us as viewers who may not tell stories in that way to have access to them to touch that part within us that still is fascinated and uh, needs that outlet. Yeah, like uh, just that darker inner self yeah. <laughs> that apparently ballet dancing can cure, but we'll we'll talk about that. <laughs> I don't we'll get think it. it did. We'll get into that. <laughs> uh, no, that's a yeah, that's a that's a good point. Just like seeking out stories, you know, and what kind of how those reflect, you know, back on us. I like that. That's a that's a new, uh, you know, a new addition to our to the the why horror conversation to our discussion yeah do you remember uh, so what was the first uh, horror film you remember seeing whether by accident you know well yeah just just in general that you remember seeing i want to say the exorcist yeah um and i was a kid and the funnily enough the thing that freaked me out was the scene where they're having the party and she walks in and pees on the floor mm-hmm. like that for some reason as a kid seeing that disturbed me yeah um and i couldn't quite explain why and then i i I didn't say anything i just kind of kept it in inside and then you know you go on with the movie and those things happen and i (laughs) i don't i mean as as a child watching that you don't have the separation of reality from you know yeah do you remember about how old you were um i want to say i was like seven maybe eight yeah wow um, watching with my siblings, my parents wouldn't have let me watch that. Especially my mom. <laughs> Don't you have siblings that are older than mm-hmm. you? Considerably, yeah. the, some the of them. Youngest of my three siblings is fourteen years older than me. Okay. Oh wow! Yeah. So it was like growing up an only child with siblings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that um, makes sense. Your experiences, yeah, so far different from theirs. So they were probably just watching and like didn't yeah, care. Sure. That you were Check right. out this yeah. movie, yeah, right. Um, and part, you know, partially wanting to mess with me as well you'll be fine um, yeah right yeah no i yeah i can't imagine well i mean i guess it depends on what kind of child you were <laughs> you know seeing the exorcist did seven or eight uh what was the first horror film that you sought out to watch like american 
Werewolf in London. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's interesting. Why? Why Why do you think you wanted to see that? Well, I, I want to say it's actually a tie. Straight yeah. down the middle between American Werewolf in London and Alien. Yeah. And it's because I had seen um, in magazines things like uh, Fangoria mm-hmm. or Starlog. Uh, yeah. Images from the film and the makeup and um, the, the chest burster coming out of ash and all these yeah. things that I had never seen. In, in a movie before and the transformation of David into the werewolf. And so the fact that it was a horror movie really took second place to wanting to see those things happen on the screen. Cause I had never seen visual effects like that before. And I just, I couldn't wait to, to watch them. And at the time, the only time you could see them is when you went to the movies or if it was on HBO or something and you right. couldn't, this is before VCRs. Yeah. That's how old I am. Uh, so you couldn't rewatch it. You had to catch it when it was on. Yeah. And it was just like, it was so fascinating to me. And I remember being a little freaked out afterwards, especially after American Werewolf in London, I was a little uneasy and, you know, didn't want to go out at night. <laughs> I was a little spooked, but at the same time, it was such a cool movie. And I remember the soundtrack. That was the first time I had ever really like, seen a movie where the soundtrack had really affected me to that degree where it wasn't like a orchestrated songs. It was music placed in the film, like bad moon horizon and oh, yeah. you know, all that. And it was so cool. And so that those two movies in particular were the ones that I absolutely sought out because visually they just looked so stunning and unlike anything I'd ever seen before. We'll have to um, watch that, you know, American Werewolf in London because it is it's fun and kind of would fit some of those body horror themes and werewolf. So, werewolves are fun. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, we'll have to put that down on the on the list, and that'd be a good one to have you come back on to talk about. Oh, I'd um, love to. But uh, it's interesting that you mentioned because I think that's where, especially a lot of like like the movie we're talking about today, audition. I'm pretty sure that's probably where I first saw. Um, images of it was like in Fangoria because I started buying Fangoria. I remember when I was really young, a kid, you know, and getting that magazine was always so exciting because it was like all these movies coming out and then it always had pages of pages of stuff that's like out now and you could like find and and that's how I, I think I discovered a lot of like the you know, especially the like the foreign horror films, like the like Audition or um, Ichi the Killer, another you know Takashi Miike film, um, Let the Right One In. I remember vividly like the 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 poster of it inside of of a Fangoria magazine. Uh, or what was the other one? There's like there's Rue Morgue, Fangoria, and there's another horror. Ugh, my brain isn't working. I'm ill, folks, and I'm on drugs. <laughs> So my brain, my brain is is fuzzy, but I think that's interesting that you kind of because I mean that's something else that we've always um, shared is like books and you know mm-hmm. so a lot of it you know you read a book and then you find out it's been made into a movie or vice versa and so yeah I, I think that's interesting that you bring that up because that's definitely where I found a lot of um, you know horror that I want to see because I saw the pictures. I remember um, actually Kill Bill. That's the reason I wanted to see Kill Bill because it was on Fangoria and they had the picture of the guy with his eye <laughs> pulled out wearing the mask. Yeah. And yeah, I was yeah. like, what the, is this movie? Like, I have to see this. You know, and they had all the pictures of it. And I actually think it's still in one of these drawers somewhere. Like, cause I kept it. Cause I just thought it was such a crazy image to put on the front of a, you know, on the cover of a magazine that's just in your Barnes and Noble, yeah. you know, guy with an eyeball hanging out. That's so yeah. Fangoria was always good for that Joe. You know what I'm talking about, right? Uh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know Fangoria was a thing until I started the show. Right. Came in I don't know what right that, that is. Magazine. 
I don't know Fangoria from Red Book. <laughs> I mean, I just picked a. I just picked the most. Uh, you don't read Red Book either. I read Entertainment Weekly, Joshua. I mean, so do you. But mm-hmm. but like I read. That's where I get most of my stuff. Like it's like I remember vividly seeing like, oh my god, I saw this is coming out in next year. I can't wait to go see that right. in Entertainment Weekly. So that's nice. We're such a well-read group. Yes, Fangoria <laughs> and E and EW. You gotta love it. Delicious, uh, you know, elitism. Yes. <laughs> I still have in a bag somewhere, uh, in with my comics, I think, the issue of Fangoria from the first Evil Dead movie. Back oh, to, like, wow. The Sam Raimi Evil Dead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's mm. cool. Um, I still need to watch Evil Dead. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. yeah I've never seen it. I, and it's <laughs> it's one of those things where it's like, you know, as many times as I've been to Comic-Con, like, I know... I look at someone, I'm like, I know you're from Evil Dead. I don't know what you are or why you're funny or whatever, but I know you are. I know you are Bruce Campbell's character from Evil Dead. Yeah. And that's it. So. Well, that's because you're, you know, you know, your pop culture references. Even exactly. if you're not, like. I'm literate. Yes. I'm conversational. There you go. At best. Same thing with Doctor Who. I'm conversational with the Doctor stuff. Ah. But I don't, like, I can, I know who, I'm like, oh, you're the Matt Smith one. And you're David Tennant, and you're the bald guy who was the villain in the first G.I. Joe movie, and you're, <laughs> yeah, and you're exactly that's that's how I. And do now it. there's the woman, and now so you're now the you and can, you're the woman, you're the yeah. woman, yes, <laughs> Jodie Whittaker, she's awesome. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you're a big Doctor Who fan. Well, it's funnily enough, I won't go on it for too long, but the thing that's been so cool about this last season and seeing her play the Doctor is. It's been a man for so long that no yeah. matter what the circumstances are, he's been able to walk right in and just be accepted and respected and listened to. And now all of a sudden she's going to these places in Earth's history where she steps in as the doctor with all these years of history behind her and chauvinism is there where they're like, excuse me, what are you saying? The, the men are talking. And that's something that the doctor has never had to face before. And it's really fascinating to see this person who's had this kind of arrogance and um, confidence about them be faced with these very stupid, very human circumstances that are still plaguing us to this day. And it's just, it was wonderful. I really liked it a lot. That is, that's fascinating. I I really like that. I mean, I, I see that's the thing. I don't do... I don't know it, but it's, I also feel like it's one of those things where it's like, I don't, there's already so much culture and, and media that I consume that it's like, I can't get involved in another one. I totally get it, man. You know, like I, I, I thought for a long time, for a long time, my, my nerd holdouts were Reddit, were Doctor Who and Game of Thrones. I, the Game of Thrones stuff, like out the window. I I'm all in on Game of Thrones. I got <laughs> I got in at the right time I felt where it was like bingeable. Like I binged watched all of it and then like and then I started watching live for the last like four seasons. So I got in at a good time. Yeah. I feel like if people get in now it's like just a mad dash to the end. But but yeah, Doctor Who is one of those things and and also the the daunting task of like how expansive the show how how long the show has been on and that's like what 50 i did 50 years or something yeah now yeah i i'm a completist so i didn't want to just 
watched the new episodes. I went all the way back to the very first episode, the very first Doctor. And Holy crap. I think it took me eight months to finally catch up. And I, I did that while David Tennant was still the Doctor. Uh-huh. Um, okay, yeah. So, I, so you've been following it a while ago, but... Yeah. Yeah, hold on. I was going to say, I think that's interesting that uh, what you're saying about what this uh, Jody Whitaker, Whitaker, Jody Whitaker's character is going through, because that allows them to probably be very meta with the conversation outside of the show. You know, because obviously I remember, uh, you know, I tried to follow Doctor Who for a while, but I think because I didn't watch it for a long time, you know. Um, yeah, we were watching it. A yeah, bit. yeah, a little bit together. I mean, it's a fun, interesting show, but it didn't. It was hard to like really for me to like access it, sure. you know, to to come from that sort of place. So I, um, but I think it's interesting in watching. Like, I remember when they announced it was a woman because I I said that I, you know I remember watching it at first. I was like, oh, I wonder what the show would be like with a woman. And then they there was talks. There, wasn't there talks of like Jillian Anderson maybe stepping there was, in? Or, there were so many. Yeah, different, Tilda so many different Swinton. Women. Tilda Swinton um, would have been cool. Phoebe yeah. Waller Bridge. Yeah, which would have been awesome. Oh yeah, that she would have been great. So. Um, yeah, so I remember getting excited by like the thought of that because this has been this, you know, almost at that time even almost 50-year institution dominated by a male central figure, you know, to, to kind of play with that I thought would be very interesting. But I remember all of like, you know, the hubbub, like everything, you know. Mm-hmm. It, it, so I'm just curious if it has like moments like in the new Ghostbusters because they had filmed it and then there was all like the backlash and they were doing, you know – re-edits or what do they call it? like pickups or reshoots they go back and, and all do that reshoots. Stuff. You know, they put that line in there purposefully where they're like looking and she's like, look at the video, you know, and they're looking at it and she's like reading the comments. She's like, ain't no bitches going to hunt no ghosts. You know, like that was pulled, you know, from the real world, you know, and, and, huh. and Reeve shot, you know, and put into the, into the thing. And she's like, no, not that one. You know, the other one about how cool it is or awesome or whatever, you know, I can't remember, but I just remember like, Oh, that's their way of being meta of responding to, Right, you know this whole conversation that's surrounded like them just trying to make a movie that they all really love the original of, and we're just trying to do their best, regardless of how anybody feels about it. And so I, I think the same thing is probably true for her. Like, hey, I, I, she's probably been a fan, and is you know it's a it's a British institution, you know, just so to step into it. So I'm wondering, does that happen in the show when you watch it? Like, you know that they're being meta or ish there i think they may have walked a fine line of being intentionally kind of distant from doing that while at the same time doing it when they can the first there were a lot of um, episodes this season that quite frankly were out and out statements about trump's america okay where the entire episode even though it might have been about giant spiders was really a commentary on what's happening the state of things yeah, yeah. and and the world at large yeah and politics today um and there there was one that was um all about the witch finders and the witch finder general and um king james that era and <clears throat> excuse me alan cumming played king james and so yes that oh, was wow while it was it, it was sort of like um, multi-tiered and what it was about and the, yeah the story was about hunting witches and blah 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 it was also very much a statement on um, uh, LGBTQ, very much a statement on um, the stuff with the wall, very much a statement on – oh, hi. There I am. Wow. I decided to show up again. There you are. Um, so, yeah, it's been very fascinating. Uh, 
I do, <laughs> I, I do think that they were a little heavy handed with it this season and and I could see how that might have turned some people off, but I was so gung ho about it and her in particular. I loved her right off the bat. I thought yeah. she was great. But funnily enough, a woman has played the doctor before and it was Joanna Lumley. There was a one-off little like comedy special that they got a bunch of um, England's top comedic actors, Rowan Atkinson, um, all these different people. And Richard E. Grant, a bunch of different uh, comedic actors from England. And the actress who played um, the daughter in Abfab. Oh, Julia Sawala. She plays the companion in the episode. Oh, that's and, and cool. Throughout the entire special, the doctor just keeps regenerating into all these comedic actors, and the very last regeneration is Joanna Lumley. Oh, that's cool. It's yeah. actually you can watch it on YouTube. You should check it out. It's pretty funny. Yeah, it's very silly, but it's it's pretty funny. Huh? Um, is it considered canon though, or is it part no. of like the okay? Because I know that they have like their um, like those comedy specials. Yeah, you know, so that makes sense. That'd be cool. How long is it? I think it's about 20 minutes. It's not very long at all. Yeah, so just probably a half an hour on regular television with commercials and all. Adverts. After after, um, that whole thing came out, there were a lot of YouTubers that were posting videos about why it's not working and why this is going to be the last season and why it needs to be a a man and not a woman. And I tried watching a few of those, but none of them had a legitimate argument. They were just angry fanboys being assholes. Yeah. No, you can say whatever oh, you want. Okay, it's fine. Sorry. Yeah, there's lots of angry fanboys. I wasn't, assholes. I wasn't sure about the cussing rule. No, it's okay. Oh, no. We I've don't give a so shit. so good. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, like, we, we don't give a fuck. It's fine. <laughs> I just think that yeah, it's so unfortunate because it's like, you know, again, nobody's taking away whatever you did like. You know, you can watch the old episodes with whatever doctor. Because, I mean, that's the thing, too. There's lots of people. Oh, I love this doctor. I hate this doctor. I yeah, like yeah. that guy. I hate that guy. You know, so it's like, fine, rewatch, do whatever you like, you know, it doesn't matter. You know, it's like, just, we're, we're just trying to, you know, create more spaces and tell different stories. And so I just think it's so unfortunate, especially when people bend to it, you know, because it's like, I would have really liked to seen a follow up to the Ghostbusters movie as like an example. And now she is getting another season as the doctor, right? Yeah. Yeah. They're, you know, so, which is exciting. So it's like, you know, I just don't get this. I mean, I do, I, I understand it in the sense of like how repugnant it is and that this is just this patriarchal toxic system that we live in, you know, where these guys just feel like so personally threatened. Um, and people hate change. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't know. I mean, I'm glad that she's been successful and it seems like, you know, I thought she was great. People are enjoying (laughs) it. As a reboot alone, I did not like the new Ghostbusters period. Right. Mm. That's fine. Yeah. I mean, again, you know, I mean, like, I, I didn't say that to be like, well, you know, I just thought that there was just a better way they could have done it. Right. And I, I heard, I, I was listening to another podcast where they were like, this is how they should have done it. And then they gave yeah. their spiel on it and was like, yeah, that's totally, yeah. It, it, Matt it, came on here and talked about his version. That's it. That's right. Yeah. It wasn't From on another podcast. Movie. It was our podcast <laughs> yeah. where that happened. Yeah. He had a whole cool theory about them. Like, you know, if they had been able to get the other guys that they had like willed it, 
you know, willed it to like, you know, one of their daughters sure. or granddaughter or something like that. And if there was a connection yeah, forward, like yeah. it, cause then, cause that's also how you build that bridge when you're going to do something yeah. quote unquote, as drastic as changing, you know, again, and changing the genders of the main characters or, right. Know. It's not enough to just do that. Yeah, yeah. You have to, there has to be a way to bridge, especially with something so beloved as the Ghostbusters. Yeah. But then at the end of the day, we are talking about, you know, a group of people who fight the paranormal. Mm-hmm. Like, and right. It's, yeah. yeah. It's like grow up, you know, it's you know, like, oh, oh, it's we, not realistic for mermaids to be black. You know, it's like, are you kidding? Shut up. <laughs> Sorry. I love that. It's unrealistic for a mermaid to be black. Yeah. It's, um, I think there was, I don't think there was really much controversy, but like Frozen on Broadway for a long time had a black Elsa and it was like, it's unrealistic for, you know, the queen of Arendelle with a, with powers to turn things into ice to be black. Like, right. what's the point? Yeah. Come yeah. on, guys. Or um, Hermione, I guess. Black Hermione, Hermione. Like, yeah. which... Or that people got upset about the Cho character. What was her name? Um, Cho Chang? Yeah, Hillary, um, Harry Potter. I'm like, that name alone should tell you that she's an Asian character. But I remember reading people were like, did not picture her as an Asian person. I'm like... What? Okay. That's new to me. I yeah, there's just something no. that... I was reading. It's kind of tied up with like the Hermione thing. It was just like this is so stupid. Like, yeah. who cares? Well, like, and and it's just dumb. Joe Rowling. I call her Joe on the show. Uh, or mocking the yes. the Hunger Games too. Yes, Joe Rowling said um, that like what is it? Curly hair and cleverness were the only two things that are explicitly canon about um, Hermione, and that her parents are from Australia, like or someone's from Australia. So it's like right. those are the only things that are canon about Hermione and have ever been explicit in the texts. Um, she would know. But, like, names like Pavardi Patel and, like, Cho Chang, I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty explicit what those yeah. people, who those people are. But then again, I just assume, you know, it's just ignorance. Either people don't know or they just think she's being, oh, it's so interesting. She's making up these weird names. <laughs> yeah, <it's laughs> Quote, unquote, weird. I mean, I don't mean, I'm just speaking from that state of ignorance. The one thing I did like about the new Ghostbusters was wholeheartedly Kate McKinnon. Oh, absolutely. Um, I yes. didn't like the film, not because it was a... Women, I don't really care about that. I just didn't think it was a very good movie. Um, but she was amazing. Anytime she was on the screen, oh, I yeah. I couldn't get enough. I wanted more. Yeah, and more she's of her. So good, so bizarre. Yeah, she. That and it's just so fascinating because it's like to put to put them all together, right? To put Kate McKinnon and McCarthy and Kristen Wiig, just to put them Leslie Jones, Leslie Jones yeah. and like. Kristen Wiig and, and Melissa McCarthy, like the two of them together, I I didn't believe their chemistry for some reason. I felt like Kristen Wiig was just really, she was really like held back. And this is like, this is the character that was like, this is the woman who's from SNL who did all these really larger than life super comedic characters that felt super subdued mm-hmm. in her performance. Because, yeah. you know, now she's having to play opposite Kate McKinnon, who's really just going for it every <laughs> single scene. Um, but yeah. I mean, that's all. But, I mean, this is all a moot point, right? Because they're going to make another Ghostbusters <laughs> with uh, yeah. um, uh, with his the original director's son, right? He's, Something or, like that. Yeah, yeah. So, there we go. Yeah. So, we'll, we'll see where that ends up. We'll see what happens. Um, <laughs> anyway, so back to the, the horror. Um, what were some of your other favorite horror films growing up, like as a kid? I really enjoyed... You were like, you have to share these with people, you know? I really liked the Nightmare on Elm Street films. Yeah. I, I understand the criticism, but growing up, that was the series, you know? Yeah. And that was, actually, I grew up with... I, I saw um, 
Friday Thirteenth in 3D at the theater. When oh, it that's came cool! Out, yeah, you know, with the glasses and everything, and when he squeezes the guy's head and the eyeball, and so I grew up with those, and I went to go see them um, again, primarily for the kills. Like you go to see it, yeah. just to see the ridiculous kills. It was that was the fun, and to be scared. Um, I didn't really get into the more sort of cerebral stuff where it was truly chilling and leaves you kind of disturbed for days until I was in my late teens, early twenties, where I started to become exposed to a broader range of film that I hadn't really known about in particular foreign. Cause a lot of the yeah. really, really creepy stuff was being done in other countries where yeah. they weren't, yeah. um, you know, <clears throat> being held down by Puritan backgrounds and things like that. They were yeah. able to just go for it, which we were kind of talking about earlier. Um, and of course I can't think of a single thing right now, but, but. <laughs> what well, makes sense too, because like the visual language is different as well. Like that's mm-hmm. something that I always found upsetting, you know, especially about like horror films from Japan, from Korea, you know, from, um, China. It's like the, the, the visual cues, the stories, the way that like ghosts are portrayed or the way zombies or, you know, the way violence happens. It was just different than like the cues we get here, you mm-hmm. know, or, or the films that you grow up with, you know, it's just a different language. So I always found, yeah, the, the kind of the same, like, wow, that was very disturbing, like beyond, you know, well, and also Nancy here. Yeah. Sorry. No, 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 no. Go ahead. Often, I think, with American audiences, we so need a, a an ending. We need it to be wrapped up. And so many of those films, the reason they're so creepy or disturbing is because there is no answer. You're just yeah. kind of left with this feeling, and that's all that you have. And that's the beauty of those kinds of tales is where you have to fill in what happens next, and you don't really know. Yeah. Um, and so you, you don't – even though the film may be over, you're still in it because you're wondering where the hell – what happened? What yeah. Happened? And it could be anything. And I love that, that, um, that sort of level of, of being disturbed in, in your mind and just being sort of carrying this story with you and these characters with you and these scenarios with you for days afterwards, because it was just so haunting. You know, that feeling, Joe, I <laughs> do today. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, uh, I think that's a good place to stop for a little break. And, uh, and then we'll be back to uh, dive in with, you know, pins and needles into uh, Takashi Miike's 1990. You are not clever. <laughs> We're on, you know, or something. Uh, but yeah, Takashi Miike's audition. Nice. I'm from New Jersey and I'm proud about it. I love the Hey, everybody. What's up? I'm here too. We are the Jersey Ghouls, a horror podcast based out of the Garden State. Join us on Jersey Ghouls for Marissa's scholarly conversations. By the way, if you Google psycho female, you definitely don't get the name of the actress from Psycho. Join us on Jersey Ghouls for Nate's thrilling debate. Why? Why are you so resistant Because it? Don't, don't you start. Join us on Jersey Ghouls for Jackie's love of 80s slasher movie, Topless Sea. <laughs> Whoa, Jackie, this is a feminist podcast. I know. I'm a woman. And as a woman, I appreciate a nice set of jugs. Okay, but you shouldn't call them jugs. Hooters? Bazungas? Tatas? Dirty pillows? I, I like boobs, too. 
Can, can I call them fun bags? No! We're the Jersey Ghouls. You can find us on social media by searching Jersey Ghouls on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, SoundCloud, and iTunes. You can also find our blog and podcast on our website, jerseyghouls.com. All right, we are back. Uh, so excited to hear from the Jersey Ghouls. Can't wait to see them at Monster Mania in just yes. a couple weeks. It's going to be a blast. Them and the, 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 the fellas at Horror Movie Night. Yeah, Travel to New Jersey. Uh, I got yes. to get my uh, hair. I keep saying Philly. I, well, it technically, I mean, it's New Jersey by way of Philly, but, you right. know, but I don't know. I need know. to get my hair back combed. I, yeah. <laughs> I need to buy winter clothes. I do have some really nice blue eyeshadow I'm going to wear. Oh, that's going to be great. I'm just, I'm just going to look as normie as possible. Or maybe I'll like um, like that episode of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia where they go to the, where they go to the Jersey Shore and I'll just braid my hair. <laughs> just get it in braids and drink drinking out of suntan lotion. But it's going to be cold. I, I, I'm just going to look like I'm going to look like Brad Majors the whole time. I'm just going to look like I don't belong. I like it. I just go for stick it. out like a sore thumb. All right, all right. So today we let's are, get this uh, over with. Yes, we're talking about audition. <laughs> Uh, which is a 1999 Japanese horror film uh, based on a novel, look at that, uh, by, um, what was the name? Ryu Murakami. Uh, I think that's how you say that. And, you know, it's about a guy who's, who's a, <laughs> a, a, you know, he's just your average Joe at the sun. And he's just trying to, you know, find a, find a date, get you know, get a new wife. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> That's it. It's just it's a lovely little movie about audition- love connections. He's auditioning a woman to wife. Right. Yes. Uh so Joe, let's start as always, like we like we like to do, with your initial thoughts on the on the film. You know, I was enjoying myself and then she vomited into a bowl and fed it to a man with no tongue. Yeah. Who who's She's very who's thrifty finger <laughs> doing like <laughs> we need to like film that i guess and post it so we can see what you're I, doing i can't Just i can't your, even your one little finger it's i was not prepared yeah <laughs> and yeah i i i didn't wear a big enough shirt because i felt like myself shrinking and into the shirt like <laughs> you made some noises yeah i made noises yeah. i was ah! yeah ah! like, oh god <laughs> i like when I, I like when we watch a movie that joe has that gets soundtracked you know uh, and and joshua's usually like if it's really bad he'll say like for inside he was like you you don't you can turn away and i was like oh it must be bad Ooh, it must be nightmare fodder and this one was apparently not as bad but it was still pretty bad you know, I don't think it's as explicit sometimes as like inside or other. I mean, it was I, it, it. It very much felt like dumplings. Yeah, because there's the scene in dumplings where she's performing the abortion, right? Mm-hmm. So I thought it was like that because like it's it's shot in such a way where it's like you see just enough. But you also there's still a lot that's left to the imagination. Yeah, and I, sometimes worse. Yeah, and I thought they were gonna like full on Salvador Dali like show you the needle going in the eyeball, but it wasn't. It's underneath yeah. the eyeball, not directly in. And you know, and it's the ding 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 deeper deeper getting getting deeper deeper. Oh man! But it was I was not. She's so sweet. I was shut up. I was not prepared. I was not prepared. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's a it's an interesting one because yeah, so much of, of it is in your own head. You know, I mean, they I mean, it shows you know like the you know the cutting off of the foot and things like that. It's it's that yeah. is rather graphic, but I mean, it's really it's about the sound. You know, when she's like. You and know. the look on her face, mm-hmm. the the like utter joy she's getting from doing that, yeah, uh. yeah, she's just she's she's there for the pain, you know. Mm-hmm. It's she's showing her her love. <laughs> May you find a girl that loves you so much, Joe. Uh. <laughs> uh, so, Mike, you did you chose this movie for us to to discuss when we so had, it's Mike's fault, right? Okay. It's Mike's fault. <laughs> No, I told you it's the sun. I will fault. send my therapy bills to Mike Beth. Okay. If the son would have just acted, you know, like, no, I don't want you to marry someone else. You're going to replace mom. Then maybe we wouldn't have had it, you know? Yeah, I thought I was... kid was pushing his dad. Yeah, go find somebody. You're bothering me. I was like, <laughs> like seven years later and it's all like, yeah, go get, go get a woman. And I'm like, dang, like, weren't you just the kid who brought in his shitty looking science project to, for mom to see? Like, right. which by the way, that science project was awful. Like he had a water <laughs> bottle as a volcano. Like it, <laughs> I, it was really bad. I, I brought this for mom to see and I'm like, well, I'm glad she died. So she didn't have to see that shitty project. <laughs> <laughs> wow! Nice. It sounds like it sounds like a horror movie night just, just now. Went. <laughs> I've lost the audience. That's awesome. uh, <laughs> you just wanted her to get well, but she never was. She was never going to get well, Joe. Nope. Anyways, I don't reveled if, in the pain. I don't know if I'll ever be well John. now. Yeah, I don't think so. But anyway, so yes, Mike brought us this movie. Yay! And you're welcome. Right. <laughs> Thank why, you. Why, why was this something you wanted to discuss on, 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 on the Fright School? Well, because I, I've only seen it twice. And to be perfectly honest with you, I always forget why she does it. Like, I, 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 even though I've seen it twice now, I always forget, like, how do we get there? I forget how do we get there. And I also knew that with it being what it was and the story and, and how it turns out. I wanted to have this conversation with you guys Mm. because this seemed right up your alley as far as social, social commentary, relationship, psychology, all of it. Yeah. And horror. Um, but, uh, yeah, I just, this seemed like a good one to have a nice meaty, (laughs) like really delicious, vomit soup chat about oh god right. i can feel it in my throat i can i'm just like i had to look away too. i was like i was like why am i still watching this why am i still watching this i was like, like you know it's not real but it's just like oh god yeah yeah and then the little girl in the next scene it's her it's um asami as a little girl petting the petting the guy petting the musical guy being like <laughs> yeah it's like pet. it's like a dog yeah yeah mm-hmm. yeah like a pet like she's you know cuz that's her she's a very rudimentary i think idea of you know love and relationships of taking care of people you know like what that means because of the abuse she suffers you know i think you know that's kind of part of mm-hmm. the discussion like we can get into yeah but, you know, Mike, I, I appreciate you <laughs> saying that about, like, wanting to bring it here because there there is a – I mean – There's a lot to unpack. There's a lot – yeah, there's a lot to – there's a lot to unpack. It was just fascinating how – so, like, I, one thing I'm just going to bring up right away just to go into it is when when um, 
our main dude. What's his name? Ari Ayama, right? Ayama. Yeah. So his, when he drinks his scotch and gets like incapacitated because he's drugged up and he has, starts having this fever dream, right? All of that that we're witnessing is interesting because it's like, I was like, is this really happening? Is, is this true to the experience or is this just all his hallucination and his hallucination fueled by the doubt that was already placed in his head by his friend who helped him, whose idea the audition was anyway, um, which is, which is another on like on a completely separate tangent, like his, all of the things that end up happening to him are things that other people suggest. You should get a wife. You, you should get a wife. You should hold an audition. Like he doesn't have an original thought to begin with. He's just kind of like floating along and doesn't know what's going on. Um, but, but, you know, we can talk about that in a minute, but like the fact that he's, the fact that he's like experiencing this and, um, in these different rooms and the, and like the, the abuse with the, the abuse with the, the uncle or whoever is the person who owns the, the studio piano guy with a, you know, with a, with a fake, fake feet. Yeah. The uncle. Yeah. Or step stepfather or whatever it is Mm -hmm. it's just so interesting like because it's like i don't think that's ever explicitly mentioned it's not it's all happening in his head and it's not like are we it's playing with for me i felt like i'm am i am i to believe that this actually happened or am i to also question because he thinks that this happened you know i was trying to figure it was unsettling for me to figure out what was going on totally so that I don't know if you have anything to yeah, speak well, to that. Right? I think first of all, I do want to mention like uh, we're pulling some of our conversation, at least uh, some of the points from um, this article. Revenge is sweet. The bitterness of audition by Robin Wood. Uh, it's from the from Film International, and I think it's interesting. Like what you bring up is that you know one of the themes of the of the film is guilt. Yeah, you know, and it's like it's interesting because um, Oyama he's. He's not like a stereotypical, what is she, how does she, or they, because actually I'm not sure if this is a, a man or a woman that wrote this, Robin, I know both male and female Robins. Um, he's never the insensitive brute male who deserves whatever he gets. You know, on one level, his guilt is that in falling for Asami, he's being unfaithful to his wife, despite the fact that, you know, she died years ago. Um, and then it's like, these other things that he's just feeling a lot of guilt for, you know, the relationship with the secretary, the objectification of his um, son's friend, all the women that he, you know, he's auditioning, that he's auditioning, you know, to be in this movie, like their, their hopes are getting up like, Oh, maybe I'll be, you know, you know, like he's like feeling guilty, but he's not like some douchebag quote unquote, not what we're used to perceiving. In fact, he's, if anything, He's like, quote unquote, like normalized in culture. Like this Mm -hmm. is just how guys are, you know, like he's looking for a pretty woman that he wants to have a wife. It keeps being brought up in the movie that men need, at least quote unquote, like heterosexual men need a woman to maintain their life. Well, actually, I guess all men. The the idea is we need mothering. You know, you your mother teaches you and feeds you and and brings you up to the world. And without her, you, you get nowhere. And then... This, the idea is that you're constantly chasing that the rest of your life, you know, like somebody to take care of you because men are incapable of this on their own. I think at least that's inferred by like the woman, his um, housekeeper. 
yes. Re, who he yes. also had. Yeah. That's that's the one part where I'm confused. I guess maybe he has feelings for her, but I don't think they actually ever slept together. But there's a scene where they're on no. the stairs together in the fever dream he has when yeah. he's like knocked out. But um, so I, I just think it's interesting that he, you, you don't really hate him in watching the movie. No, he's not. I don't inha- think you're meant to. He's not inherently unlikable. That's right. the thing. I was kind of hoping that we would get more bad stuff to happen to his friend because his it was his idea to do the audition to begin with. But which and it's an interesting kind of redemption or not redemption, but like a turn that happens when when he realizes like, oh, you did find a woman. I, you know, you, the second to last, we have two more people out of these 30 people. There's 30 women that we've interviewed. You've not said a damn thing. Now you've said something and it's like, okay, you knew you wanted to meet this woman all along. Why did we go through this in the first, like, why did we, why didn't we just interview her first? Right. And get it over with. And then, and then he's like, I didn't like her. I didn't like her. She gave me a bad feeling. Yeah. She made made me want to smoke. Yeah. (laughs) And I was like, uh, I don't know. Is that a good thing or the bad thing? You know, because people smoke after sex. So, you know, I was kind of, that was a little interesting there for me. But yeah, I mean, and then he turns and Anxious, made him anxious. Yeah. And then, then he checks up on her and all the stuff. And I'm like, you know, it's interesting because like all of a sudden, you know, there's no guilt, but now there's no guilt. Uh, but he is, um, it's it's interesting because he's like they had no more guilt regarding um, uh, all those women because he found the one that he was like really interested in and yeah you know so yeah. that just plays in later I don't know um, what are your your thoughts on that Mac I was just looking up his name was Yoshikawa Yoshikawa friend. yes yeah. and there was that whole scene they had when they were setting up the audition where he says any girl who would get the lead wouldn't marry you they aren't the marrying type. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And that that whole thing about how the only women that he could possibly have a chance with are the ones that they would never actually cast. <laughs> that anyone who was who was a leading lady type would be far too independent, far too career driven, far too about themselves to want to possibly give over to being his wife and being. Mm. Um. <clears throat> so yeah. That's, that's a good. Inter- that's yeah, an interesting comment. Yeah, too. that's a good read um, or a good uh, pickup on that. Um, yeah, because again, like I, I'm not sure because I'm not a Japanese person. I, you know, I'm not sure in re- like reading the types of people that are in it, like um, like the archetypes. Yeah, like the characters, like the characters. Yeah, yeah. You know, like how are we supposed to feel about him? You know, Oyama, like. Do we find him attractive? Do we not? Do we think, you know, is Asami like be like out of his league? You know, I'm curious about like, you know, what kind of character. Because in Sydney, I'm just like trying to think if I was going to cast this film, like if they were going to make it as American, like who would I want to play that role? Because I'm, I'm drawn to not having it be played by any like quote unquote hot guys. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. like I feel like he's kind of, he looks, Zach he looks Brown. paternal. He looks like. <laughs> Maybe, <laughs> maybe, um, you know, it's like, he looks like, you know, like a dad kind of guy, yeah. you know, like he's just a business guy, typical dude. Like I'm just, uh, sometimes I'm curious about how we're supposed to like feel about like his and, um, Sami's relationship. Yeah. 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 You know, the, like, are they like the other women, like what you're saying with the actress, like they'd be far too far out of his league. Basically, you know, they wouldn't want to be with him. 
Do you mean uh, culturally? That yeah. You're, okay. Yeah. It's like I'm just I, – I'm not sure, you know, like because, you know – because like, you know, we see movies like – I guess what I'm trying to get at, it's like the, the comedy shows where you have like the hot wife and the quote-unquote fat funny guy. Like okay. that's an archetype in our culture and that we ex- we just accept that that's ab- totally realistic, you know, like in, in the sense of like these shows. Like they mm. – you know, they put those shows out that's like an archetypal kind of thing. It's like I wonder if like – if he's kind of viewed that sort of way, like he's mm. sort of like a, you know, paternal, paternal yeah. looking dude. And she's like, cause he's not, he's gorgeous, not unattractive, you know? but he's definitely nothing to like, he's nothing that like is going to ruin your life. Like, you know, he's not, he's not a, yeah. he's not devastating, but they also do <sighs> make a note of her age a lot. Yeah. Which I found really surprising. I never noticed that in previous viewings, uh, how much they make of the fact that she's so much younger than him. Yeah. Well, and again, that's why it's like, what am I supposed to like be inferring yeah. about like their relationship? You know, because yeah. that again seems very normal. Mm-hmm. You know, in the way that what we're told about, you know, it's you know, you can have some ninety-year-old dude with some young hot wife. You know, like that's sure. just a like an archetype in like definitely American culture, but all over the world, obviously. You know, um. So yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's just kind of an interesting. And even if he question. does marry her, like his son's on board when he tells her, when he's like, "Yeah, she's twenty four. Like, oh, he's she's close to, to my age. She's close to my age. Wow." He and it's something to. It's a little gross, kind of the how the two of them talk about uh, talk about other women, and it's just like, oh well, maybe this is maybe this is just you know toxic masculinity coming back and giving you serving you karma, um, but it. It's just because then if they did marry her, it's mm-hmm. like he has a wife that could essentially be an older sister and the son had no problem with it. Sure. And, you know, yeah. this is someone who's not seven years ago. But, I mean. It's it's fascinating that you bring that up because there was one moment in this viewing that kind of bothered me a little bit. But mm-hmm. it was so just like flash in the pan that I, I didn't really think about it until just now. And that's when he meets his son's friend and his son's like, oh, I thought she was pretty. So I talk to her and i brought her over because she's into paleontology and blah 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 and then when she turns her back he gives his son like the thumbs up like yeah i can never imagine like there's never a universe there's no world that exists that i would ever do that to jacob like hey yeah good choice she's hot yeah your son jacob yeah sorry (laughs) yeah like i would never do that and and so that actually really kind of creeped me out a little bit this time where it was just like oh dude gross but then that comes back to haunt him later too. That that moment and those thoughts. Yeah, and then there's this inherent guilt that manifested in the fever dream. Yeah, where he's like, you know, trying to like get away from this girl who wants him, and um, also how presumptuous to think that like all the women in your life want to be with you. <laughs> right. I mean, that's not true. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, at least for sure, we Bummer. get we get for sure that maybe something happened with the secretary, or it's it's assumed, or maybe they had like a failed yeah. relationship of her or something early on, like when she's standing yeah. in his doorway and mm-hmm. being awkward. Yeah, that and does she seem says, "I'm about to get married soon," and just the things she says to him are kind of. He's like, "Don't you like, want to stop it?" Like, because yeah. I secretly love you, and you know, and. And it's just also because, I guess, of his age, whatever his age is, being this older male figure, it's interesting because, like, all the women, even maybe 
even maybe the housekeeper, the the housekeeper, they're all much younger than him. So there's this kind of, I mean, it's hard not to go to the kind of this like daddy issue paternalistic thing. And they all have a very uh, similar look. Yeah. There were times where I had difficulty telling which one it was that we were seeing on the film because I was like, oh, shit, that's a, that's, oh, that's the secretary oh that's the girl that's the yeah girl. yeah when they're yeah, on they the splash very, very similar look when they're on the stairs i was like is that the is that the the son's girlfriend or is yeah. that the, the maid and i'm like uh yeah and there was uh, definitely yeah the maid the housekeeper's on and then you know it's yeah it's i think meant to be it's just like very confusing and you know sort of an odd odd scene you know that you're supposed to glean stuff from but yeah it's hard to know like what what the reality is which this film is all about that it's like what what we what we know versus what is true and that would have been enough for me but then to actually make it like no she's like a psychopath and and wants to harm you and this is how she did it like it's it's interesting how like he just like okay well you know went ahead and just went ahead and did all that because uh, it would have been when, enough for me if it was like, well, n- it's all in his head. Oh, okay. And then maybe at the end they hinted at it, but then to actually like have that whole scene where she's, you know, in her American Mary gear. <laughs> right? Yeah, it's very yeah. American Mary. <laughs> yeah. In yeah. Her Ameri- I was like, nice ooh, pool. it's American Mary. Um, yeah. It's American Mary gear and, um, you know, basically get like dismembering him. And torturing him and, oh, my God, when she, after she stuck those needles in his torso and then, like, ran herself over them, I was, yeah. <laughs> oh, you make noises. Yeah. Oh, gosh. <laughs> yeah. It's very, very visceral. Yeah. Very, very visceral. Did you notice that after the first night they spent together in that blue room and he, it, it the, the film is cut very strange. The edit is very strange in that he leans forward to kiss her. And then he lays on top of her, and then the next thing you see is him going flop on the bed, and there's this really loud sound of him almost like landing with a thud. Yeah. And he sits up, and she's gone, and he's holding his head like he's been drugged. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. it's, it makes me wonder, like, what happened that night? What did she do? Because she's just gone. When she Right when she's like, I want you to see me, she's like pulling the sheet, and then there was the thud. Mm-hmm. I was trying to figure that out, too. I was like... Damn, that was some. I mean, that was like that's a one pump, really heavy, you know, heavy lovemaking. But yeah, it reminded me of you know when you start to fall asleep and you have that sensation of falling, and sometimes you like mm. kick your legs out or something yeah. like that. Yeah, it's like that. So it's like yeah, and once you get to the end where it kind of flips back to that, it kind of ties in together. Like maybe it was like a weird dream he's having, you know. But then mm-hmm. he falls like back into his own living room and no, his feet are still gone. <laughs> And do you think that that scene, that, that revisit to the blue room, as I'll call it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah do you think yeah. that's what happened after they made love? Or do you think that's still just his fever dream kind of like writing that fiction of her agreeing to his proposal? Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think it goes, I, I think in that moment he's just wishing. Like he is, you know, he's like, it's like transcendence. You know, he's he's had this horrible pain. And Escaping he's like, his reality. Yeah, it's Got like it. he goes into thinking like, oh, you know, oh, this is a dream. Yeah. You know, and he's waking up and his feet, you know, he grabs his feet and they're still there. And he's like, oh, it's just a dream. But then it's like, oh, nope, it's not a dream. You know, and and I only go based off of, because like I used to think that. Like, I was like, it ends weird, but like, it, was it all a dream? You know, is he, did he fall back asleep and he's back in like the nightmare or like the blue 
place, the blue room, like that's, that's the fiction, you know, it's, yeah, it's very odd. But, um, Takasha, me, I guess has confirmed like, no, that he's not asleep. It's like, what's happening to him is really happening. You know, she's really torturing him, Yeah, you know, and that's how the film ends. So I think we're supposed to leave with that being the reality, but he wishes maybe it would have been, he would have made a different choice, you know? I don't know. Yeah. And and that's what's, that's one of the, I mean, you know, the actual gruesome images, notwithstanding, the unsettling thing is that, you know, we don't know truly what's going on. And I mean, then again, you know, if I was in that situation where I was administered a paralytic and someone was sticking needles in me and proceeded to amputate me as I was alive and could feel everything, like I would, (laughs) I would also be completely disoriented. I think maybe, you know, I don't think that that really happened. I do think that that was some sort of hallucination or out of body experience Mm -hmm. of, you know, whatever. But I think maybe that like, if you want to get really literal, it could be just, he's trying to find a way to deal with all the pain because subspace. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. He's in his, he was in a very specific kind of subspace. (laughs) Oh man. Um, Mike, you had, I, I heard you a little bit when I was setting up, you had, um, some interesting things about colors that came in that came into play i noticed um that she is always in white Mm -hmm. every time you see her she's in white and white in japanese culture represents death where american culture it's black and japanese culture it's white and so i started paying attention to colors in regards to her and their first date she's in white again but she's wearing a blue kind of coat or it's almost like a flannel jacket um and blue uh, represents happiness and joy, but it also represents uh, death and mourning. Mm-hmm. And then the next time you see her, she's in that she's in white dress again, but in that Muppet audacious, red, yeah, Muppet yeah. red coat. Um, and red represents strength, passion, self sacrifice, and blood. This is this is Japanese culture. What these colors represent. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when they're in the restaurant, the wall behind him is solid red. Um, the only things that aren't, I mean, you can see the textures in the doorways and stuff like that, but it's, everything is painted red, but then the wall behind her is black and black denotes, um, non-being mystery night and anger. And that's after he hadn't called her for a while. Uh So I was really paying attention to what, um, he was doing with the visuals and with the color and telling the story. And it was it was really fascinating because there was definitely a lot of representation in regards to her. And anytime she's not there, um, for the most part, the scene looked fairly normal. It looks like a normal room, you know, there's textures, there's woods, there's, you know, you see everything, but when she's around, there's very much like color or lack of, it's a Dario Argento kind of obvious. And it was really kind of fascinating to see the, the kind of visual representation and symbolism in regards to her and that whole journey. Um, and that's, that's how I knew that the revisit to the restaurant the second time was, um, the hallucination in his head, because that was the very Dario Gento with the red lights yeah, yeah, thing yeah. as well yeah. as the backgrounds. And then his family is there, including his dead wife going, no, don't, don't um, do yeah, it. The red, the red flags. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Um, the light that's in the light that kind of bathes the studio when she's dancing and mm-hmm. in the second part where she's a grown woman um about to experience the the abuse from her stepfather again like 
you know, those, those elements too, like the, you, you know, that it's something that's not, that's not happening in real time where they are because of how the, how everything is bathed in this particular type of light. Um, fascinating, interesting, interesting pull. Cause now, cause now if I watch this again, I don't know when, <laughs> I don't know when that will be, but it, it's interesting to kind of have those, have those little elements. And it's mm-hmm. like those, those subtle things that kind of, you know, culturally are evoking something because like, you know, obviously if we had, if this was made in a, in an American context and if you, would it still be, she's dressed in white because white also symbolizes purity for right. in like a Western civilization context. And she's supposed to be this like innocent figure, mm-hmm. but at the same time, yeah. Interesting. Well, there was another yeah. moment too early on because audio was very prevalent as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's the scene early on where he's in the car and it's raining and he's talking on the phone and then it cuts to outside. Oh, sorry. It cuts to outside the car yeah. and the audio from inside the car disappears and all you hear is the rain. And then it cuts back to his conversation and he hangs up the phone and he starts daydreaming about her. Mm-hmm. And then the film cuts to a little girl listening to the radio um, that show that they kept talking about tomorrow's heroine. Yeah. 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 And it was her as a little girl listening to the radio talking about tomorrow's heroine. And then it cuts, you know, back to the present time, but it was just such a fascinating little jump. Um, the way they used the nonlinear story mixed with the audio as well as the visuals. And she's in, in white, even as a little girl, like seriously, every time you see her yeah. other than American Mary, outfit yeah even then she's in white yeah it's just the on top of it but yeah yeah, it's it was really fascinating i couldn't get away from seeing it i was so um drawn to the use of color this time through yeah i love i i really like that interpretation and again it depends on how you see the film like whether you see it as a feminist film or not but um her being in white like even though we have like the death you know the the japanese color um, in interpretation of death being white, but like here, obviously we, you know, you see somebody in white, you think of godlike or angelic. You know, she's young, innocence, purity, purity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and I think that's one of the reasons I've always really liked this movie too, is because she straddles that line. Like, you know, she's this innocent little girl who's been victimized. She talks about her parents breaking up. She goes to her uncle's house which is a terrible place she says in the film and is glad that she got out her aunt pushed her down some stairs broke her you know her clavicle or shoulder bone or something um so it was like miserable and then she goes to you know back home and then her mother marries this sick pervert who's burning her with (laughs) you know so it's what, what were those anyways like at first, uh, I thought they were incense sticks. They look but, they look like incense sticks, but I think they're um, they like iron. Of some I think sort. they're like metal. They're metal rods of some sort. Yeah. Well. Anyway, so like she's monstrous in the end, and you know, as as it goes on, when you see like the guy in the bag, and obviously something's going on with her. She's sitting in her house for four days, staring at the telephone and not doing anything else. Like you know, something's going on. But there's this other side where you keep being reminded of like her trauma through these flashbacks of of herself as a little girl. And then as a, a, on a larger scale, she represents like, you know, the women of Japan, like how they've been, you know, brutalized by the patriarchy and then subjugated to, to violence and women all over the world. But obviously this is, you know, Japanese film. So I'm just saying that I, I feel like there has to be, you know, some sort of cultural 
conversation happening, you know, for women, but it does resonate anywhere, everywhere. So it's just hard. I've just always really liked that about it, you know, and she comes out and she has these like beautiful torture devices, you know, these, these, you know, pins, uh, acupuncture needles and, and the, the wire saw. And yeah. there's just this whole delicacy to it all, you know, that I don't know. I've just always found really fascinating. You know, she's doing such vicious stuff with, but it's these beautiful tools and, you know, you're, you keep being reminded of like her, her childhood trauma and, you know, the stuff that, that has happened to her. And it just makes, makes her a very interesting character. Cause it's hard to like, know if this film, is it about, you know, men and their fear of like the power of women and like sexuality of women, you know, or is it misogynistic? Because of the betrayal, you know? Is it misogynistic because he, for all intents and purposes, this is this person who's done nothing wrong? Yeah, that's the idea. Like, like yeah. we're supposed to. Like, is it, it? are we supposed to, in watching the film, forgive? Like, like, oh, he's just being a normal dude. Like, this is just what guys do. And if, you know, a guy does this, he doesn't deserve this kind of punishment. Where is it? You know what I mean? Like, and I don't think there's a firm answer because you can read it. We talked about this last week with Thinner. Where it's like, you know, yeah, this guy is kind of this nondescript, dis, you know, he's not a particularly scummy attorney, but he, but, you know, it, does he deserve to basically waste away and to become a desiccated corpse? No. Over an accident. Over an accident that was, you know, that he, uh, he did hit her, but like, is not entirely, you know what I mean? Like it's, he didn't do it with intention. It's, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. That's, in, that's interesting. I, to kind of put that layer on it, I don't, I don't know if, I don't know what kind of statement it's trying to make, but I do feel like, you know, I feel like the the movie is trying to normalize his behavior, which you know, which like you know is 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 at at like at the very least is uncomfortable and gross. Like you know, he's not out there like mm. he's you're not showing him out there being like this. Um, this guy who is, um, you know, overtly um, being uh, misogynistic towards women, but you are seeing the way that he talks to the casualness. It's of, a, the casual yeah. nature of all of it, and then the fact that, like, you know, even though he does experience some of this guilt about um, holding the audition in this way to find a to find a wife, he still goes through with it. Like, he's not if he really objected to it, he would not do it. <laughs> he would just he would be like, "Hey, I don't want to do this anymore," and. Like, you know, his friend makes him out to be even to adds on on some more guilt because it's like, hey, you haven't done. I've done all the talking. You haven't. But it's just the casual nature. So maybe if we want to really if we're really going to go deep into it, you know, <laughs> if we're really going to get deeper, deeper, deeper um, if we're going to go and we're going to go into it, maybe it's like this is what happens when you do take this casual approach to it. Like eventually, you know. Eventually, it ends up being your undoing of some sort. A societal girl. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Well, I think that it's easy to focus on her obsession because her um, her aggression is so obvious. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. But the truth of the matter is, the first two thirds of the film is about his obsession with Mm -hmm. her. Right. He calls her the same night. He's thinking about her all the time. He's very much obsessed with something about her and the thought about being in love again and having someone. He, right. He doesn't know her, but he's already like, I want to marry her. And that 
Mm-hmm. Um, that concept is something that is very familiar. That whole idea yeah. of, of how romance feels good, how it's exciting and new to meet to you know it's exciting when it's new and how you you can't stop thinking about someone and right you, you have all these romantic ideas of oh it's going to be like this and this and this and this and in truth you really don't know the person right and so in in a and lot he of hasn't ways, felt that way in a long time in right. at least seven years yeah and so in a lot of ways it's like it's a, more of a cautionary tale of like fucking take your time get to know somebody yeah get to really really know the person that you're you're interested in because you don't you you don't know you don't know what he could be like you don't know what she could be like you right. you don't know anything about them and so it's important to take that time to get to know them because they might want to cut your feet off right <laughs> they might <laughs> yeah at the very and, least a tongueless dude in a bag yeah right oh man well yeah and I, and i think also we're watching this in a time where these conversations are so much bigger you know 20 years ago when this movie came out you know we wow 20 years i know yeah we weren't having these frank conversations that we're having now about like toxic masculinity about like the casualness of misogyny you know about how it's there's so much that's coded into our language just the way we talk about you know weakness or you know the things that we identify like as feminine you know that are just like just not like it's just normal part of our language you know so it's like i feel like this movie reading it now it is speaking to that. Like the son, you know, he's very, it's like, he's, what was the, um, what was the quote? It was pretty uh, good from the article about the two characters who most clearly represent what one might call for our culture, normal behavior are Yoshikawa and Shigiko. How did they say his name? Shigiko? The son. The son. He has the excusive use, but he already exhibits certain learned, in quotes, attitudes to the female sex. Casualness, a sense of superiority, uh, condescension about the girl thing. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, so it's like, I think it it speaks to that. Like, you know, what what we're teaching and just like the everyday behaviors about how men and women should, quote unquote, interact. Well, and there's very clearly a line that was... The Japanese way of saying, "Well, she's pretty, but she's dumb." Right. He, did, he didn't say it that way. He said, "Yeah, it yeah. In a very, you know, um, honoring Japanese way that they communicate." But it was very much like, eh, "She's pretty, but she's dumb." Yeah, 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 yeah. So I just think it is—it's that sort of casualness in this, like. Again, maybe maybe it is about that. Maybe on like the larger scale, it's like that's what we're seeing now. Is you know you're having this massive uprising and everything is being put under a microscope because it's been for so long. This is how it's been. You know, women yeah. have been you know had to be in the room like what you're talking about earlier with Doctor Who. Like nobody asked. You know your thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> None of us care here. Right. That's nor- was normalized. You know behavior yeah. and that women constantly apologize for ideas that they have, or you know what I mean. All those things, and it's like eventually there's going to be this turning of the tide. There's a fear of that, you know, and that this movie kind of speaks to like this is like that. There's going to be an overcorrection, which is what I think a lot of these guys like they get a, a, a afraid of these men's rights activists. You know, these uh, what are they called the the red pill guys? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like oh, women In- they're being oppressive now. They're oppressing incel, me. Incel guys, you know? the, yeah, the incel, <laughs> yeah. You know, or the LGBTQ that guy that's you know saying that we're like the KKK now because they fear this. They fear that accountability, accountability, yeah, and to be treated the same way, mm-hmm. and to, and that that the the equal and opposite reaction is what's yeah. coming, you know, and that they're, that they're going to be subjected. And that's kind of, 
what happens to him in this way. And he's like just your bumbling, you know, kind of guy through like, you know, he's like your everyman type character who is being held personally responsible <laughs> for years and years and years of abuse, even if maybe he in particular doesn't deserve it. And I think that actually speaks to a very real fear uh, yeah. culturally, you know. Interesting because I – I didn't even really think about that where he's really obsessed, you know, to Mike, to your point, where he's obsessed with her for that entire first half of the film. And then the moment he finds this woman who is just as who we unbeknownst to him is even more obsessed with him and how he's basically professing his love in this way. And now we have this kind of overcorrection where it's now it's like, oh, well, I thought you were obsessed with me. Well, obviously you're not you don't love me as much as I thought you did. And now you must die. And to basically, and to your point, Joshua too, this kind of fear of like now completely incapacitating him in such a way that he is now dependent on her the way that the man in the bag is like, you know, dependent on her for food and, you know, literally anything that she gives him. Yeah. Um, Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it's a complicated thing. It's interesting. This is really timely because on Amazon right now, there um, there's a series, a docu series called Lorena. Yes, and it's all about Lorena Bobbitt that and Jordan oh. Peele executive and, produced. And um, I watched the first couple episodes. It's fascinating um, because they're interviewing them now. Yeah, and going back, and they're telling it uh, linear as it happened from the day, the moment of the incident. And it's so interesting the way that that whole thing sort of turned on her. And, you know, she she said that, you know, he was I, – I, I have to be honest with you. Even though I remember living through that, I don't remember what happened. I don't remember if she was convicted. I don't remember what the, came out. I don't know anything about it, so I don't know what the truth is. But here you have a situation where this woman it claims years and years of sexual abuse and yeah. straight-up rape. Um and a guy who's saying, oh, she's just pissed off and cut off my dick because I was going to leave her. Right. And the two camps um, being adamant in their cause and how it seems as of right now the majority of people leaned towards him. That, mm-hmm. you know, he was doing tours and with people going, so is your wife just a crazy bitch? And him, and you know, him going, well, that seems to be the case. And his brother's saying, oh, if I saw her right now, I'd kill her. She took the most important thing to a man. And um, I'm sorry. I just think that's funny. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it was really fascinating. So with everything you just said, that really kind of ties in where there is this um, this very deep-rooted fear of giving up that power. Right. And they're more and more as each day goes by, it seems that they're losing it more and more because more and more people are – becoming like waking up to that reality and seeing the man behind the curtain yeah um yeah that we're holding them accountable yeah i mean this used to all be like backroom dealings and now it's just like out in the open because like well everyone knows now that we're shady fuckers we're just gonna go ahead and not hide anymore um and so that that gives this whole film a whole new sort of level for me in Mm -hmm. terms of like what it could represent beyond just two people in a relationship. Right. But just the whole, um, like the culturally cutting off the feet 
you know, sticking needles in the eyes. Yeah. I'm, 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 I'm like, it's a little weird and I feel like I'm reaching for that deep dive, but you, you see where I'm going with no, it. No, I do. Oh, I absolutely. do. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's the kind of stuff yeah. that we love here, man. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Because, I mean, that's the thing. And somebody else could come along and interpret it differently. You know, other people, you know, could say, no, he's clearly a raging misogynist and deserves everything he gets. You know, just, to, you know, however you, you know, whatever you bring to the movie, you know, whatever you bring in your own experiences. I think he's actually a fairly benevolent character. Yeah, I, I, you know, yeah, I read him the just, same way. He, he's, you know, yeah. he, the, the mistakes he does make are very human, very just like, you know. Yeah. He's not – he never outwardly does anything to intentionally harm someone. There's, You know, he makes, right. he makes bad decisions based on – um, being lonely or being, you know, just like, like anyone like or what human. society, uh, that's the thing yeah. is that he's a product of his, he's sure. a product of his environment and he's a product of that's okay, of, of society and the norms that exist. Yeah. So it's like, you know, the, it's, you know, it's not that you, this, this might be a little bit of a reach, but you know, the, the idea of like, you know, I'm the, like, I'm not saying that you are racist. I'm saying that like they, we are existing in a system where, you know, racism exists. And if you are a product, right. if you're buying into this system, you are, you know, that's the thing. Sure. So it's like, right. And it informs your perspective. It informs yeah, your perspective. So in this, in, in this instance, it's like I, this guy who is nondescript and all, by all accounts, like a pretty decent person is getting like hit with the most gruesome things but it's not because it's one it's the psychosis of the one it's the psychosis right. of the other person but it's also like you know he like basically was like really obsessed with her and like i was kind of waiting for him i didn't think that it was going to happen i was kind of waiting for him when he was looking through those pictures and then when he was like lingering on her picture in her essay i was like waiting for him to like unbuckle his belt and start jerking off because i'm just like because that's what like I was waiting for, but he, mm-hmm. you know, he, there was an element that of... just speaks to you, John. <laughs> <laughs> when will the jacking off begin? That's what I came to see. <laughs> no, but I get what you mean. <laughs> Audition to electric boogaloo. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. It's like, what is... <laughs> yeah. No, I think it's a good point. But again, in, in the culture that we have, like, what is a dating app other than exactly the same thing? Where mm-hmm. you know you open it up and you've got thirty or forty peoples, and all you have is their picture and some basic stats. And you go, "Hey, do you want to do it? Do you want to do it? Do you want to do it? Do you wanna do it? like anybody want to do me? Like, you know, I mean, we live in a culture where that's so, <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like because I think of that, or or I have friends who have you know were in you know who are I don't know ten fifteen years older than I am, you know who were in relationships and then they, that's what you try to do. You know, like that's how people, that's how the kids are doing it these days. You got to get on the app to date. It's you can't go to a bar and meet anybody anymore because everybody's on their fucking phone, you know, yeah. or they're it's, already taken. Yeah, exactly. Or it's unnatural. Like it, for some reason we've lost like the ability to, hello, how are you? You know, yeah. like, can I buy you a drink or whatever? You know, like we've, we've lost that. And so it's like, I feel like if this was remade, that's kind of how it could be, you know, where it's like, oh, you meet somebody on an app and you know, you're just you're going for it and you don't know like the kind of, you know, right. the kind of people like she's got a cute photo seems nice let's go out have a you know have a dinner or whatever but i i just feel like it's kind of that same you know that experience now you know where it's like he doesn't know what to do like he's, he's his wife died 7 years ago he's been alone maybe he's had a few trysts here and there cuz you know he's human and more of to convenience have. but not sure. necessarily what he yeah, wanted yeah yeah and so now here he is like i don't know what the fuck to do and his friends a movie producer so it's like hey 
we'll just bring in a bunch of women, see yeah. if you like them, you know, because he didn't have an app. Yeah. He let didn't me, have Tinder or whatever. Let me explore, let me exploit the power dynamic of being like a men in power. Trying totally. To, yeah. Abs- yeah. We'll, we'll make absolutely. a movie later. Yeah. We'll come exactly. up with yeah. a later. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Such an afterthought. It's like, but we'll yeah. still, you know, yeah. it's, it's good. We'll make a movie. We'll still make a movie about yeah. it. It's like, like Fire Festival. You know. Just, we'll figure it out. That's yeah. the beginning. Get everybody of, there and then we'll build the festival. <laughs> that's the beginning of 8mm, right? It's just, we, oh, that movie's good. Yeah, that's a whole other conversation. Uh, yeah, I I don't know. I just think yeah, I don't. I, I think he's relatively benign, you know, in the sense that you know you could easily hate him. They could have made him like a sleazy, yeah, dude, and mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot more they could have done. But <laughs> yeah, I feel like in the in the American version, they will uh, the guy who plays uh, Aoyama will be. I feel like a good person would be um, Rufus Sewell. Do you know who Rufus Sewell is? Mm-hmm. So um, he would be a good Oyama because he's just like, you know, kind of nice. Non- I can just see him like getting needles stuck in him, <laughs> like yeah. freaking freaking the F out. Um, you'd have to think of like a really, uh, really gross kind of guy to be um, uh, his friend. Jeremy Piven. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just I don't know why I keep seeing Zach Braff. I think Zach Braff would be a great. Oh, Zach Braff could be just good because he's so kind of like. Yeah, he's like you know he's and nondescript a, and just kind of a sweet guy. That he's got an edge to him. Yeah, who plays Asami though? Ooh, I feel like they got to find either like an unknown River River. Or, uh, what's her name? Yeah, uh, from from uh, Firefly. Oh yes. Yeah. Summer Glau. Summer Glau. Yeah, Summer she Glau. Would be, she'd be really good. She's got the actually. ballet background. She's got everything. That's true. Yeah, she actually would be that that'd be interesting. Plus I can see her with like her hair in her face and uh-huh. just being creepy, you know. Um Ooh, Zach Braff picking her up. Ooh. <laughs> Come at us, Blumhouse. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> you know you want to. Right. Make <laughs> this happen. Us. Uh, let's see. Any other uh, comments? Um, yeah, Joe. I, I had a thought I wanted to bring up earlier. Had a um, thought. Yes. Just I was like, I not only am I a thought, I had a thought. Um, I so Mike, we one thing that we talk about in um, here on the show is we we talk about about how like horror is something that is like handed down to you or it's been given to you. It's it's a lot of guests that we've had on. It's like oh, I saw. My first film I saw was because my family member, somebody showed it to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, we mentioned Jacob, your son, on the show. And um, what I wanted to ask you is that, like, as a father, as a father and as a fan of horror, as the genre, is there anything that you have, like, either knowingly or unknowingly handed to him, given to him as far as horror is concerned? Well, well yeah. unknowingly would be difficult. To... Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, like, you know. I, oh, okay. That I, I liked and then I found out later he was a fan of. Yeah. Exactly. Or or he already maybe saw it or, you know, it was things that were like whether uh, maybe unknowingly to Jacob. Like he didn't know that this was happening, but you made like we are now watching The Shining or something like that. And it, it Actually, it was kind of a reverse in that we started with the last film. And then went back and watched the first one, and it is uh, the Evil Dead series. We watched. Oh wow! I, okay. I showed him oh, okay. Army of Darkness. Yeah. And just because that movie's so funny and just really fun, and then I went back and showed him the first Evil Dead, and it it changed the viewing. Having that sort of um, jovial, tongue in cheek sort of Army of Darkness energy going into Evil Dead because 
I remember the first time I saw Evil Dead, I was expecting a horror film, and what I got was this just ridiculous movie. I, I think it was like the third time I saw it that I finally was like, okay, now I get it. The first time I'm like, what the hell is this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the whole tree rape and stuff, and it's like, what the hell is this movie? Um, and so that would be that's the only thing I can think of as far as a horror film goes. It, a, like a classic horror film would be the that original Sam Raimi trilogy starting with army of darkness and then going back and, and going watching back the other yeah. two which are basically the same movie <laughs> awesome that's cool um did you guys tend to well, i mean now he's how old is jacob now? he's gonna 19? be 19 yeah he'll be 19 so i'm sure he's in that kind of space where you know he's got his own friends his own life his own things but i mean mm-hmm. do you guys still like is horror part of your relationship like go see a scary movie together, Not or is really. it just movies in general? Is it more? Maybe it's more generalized for you. We, when we books. if we go to the movie, it's more books. If yeah. it's going to be anything, um, when we go to the movies, it's usually to see the spectacle movies, like the Marvel films or you know the mm-hmm, big mm-hmm. blockbusters, just because um, I can watch it at home. Yeah, but um, horror has actually never really been something that he and I share. We yeah. Um, I think that he a lot of the music he listens to. I mean, I I definitely have um, turned him on to the Rob Zombie films. Yeah, I haven't watched them with him because I felt that would be a little awkward for me with some of those. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually really appreciate him as an auteur. Um, yeah, I I liked his uh, Halloween films. I, I don't know. I I like. Rob Zombie as a filmmaker. Oh, I love him. And yeah, so totally. I, I definitely I get what he's doing. Yeah. I, I like it. Um, and so I, I've definitely like sent those his way, but I've never actually watched them with him. So. Yeah. Huh. Does that count? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I no, sure? I mean, yeah. Just in the sense of like, yeah, you know, the horror is a, as a, as a, um, heirloom. Yeah. yeah. Devil's rejects in horror particular. as heirloom. Yeah. Um, uh, Devil's Rejects in particular. Yeah, well, that's a great film. And plus, the soundtrack is awesome. Yeah, it is. Yeah, you know, I like, like, Rob Zombie, not so much The Devil's Rejects, actually, because I, I totally it's very different from the other movies that he made. But, like, House of a Thousand Corpses, the two Halloween movies, mm-hmm. The Lords of Salem, um, and even, like, the El Superbisto, like, um, animated one that he did. He just, I, I think, it's kind of like, oh, God, I feel like somebody's going to, like, kill me for making this, like, illusion or whatever but it's like you know people have no it's fine people have <laughs> visual languages you know like wes anderson has like sure. a visual language um woody allen whatever you think of him i'm not a i'm not a fan despite the rape stuff <laughs> not a fan of that either but i mean i was never i was never a will i was never a woody allen fan like i never got his movies even when i saw them like as a kid and people were like oh this is so funny you gotta watch it like i never got that but i've just always like appreciated like rob's the the visuals like his his eye his perspective and sure. i think it's the same way like i don't i i don't really understand like the wes anderson movies i've tried to watch them i'm like i don't, I don't get it i don't understand what's happening mm. and i think it's kind of like you know, like what maybe you were saying with like the Evil Dead too, where it's, you have to figure out the tone, like what yeah. it is they're they're trying to do. You know, and so I've just always really appreciated that about Rob Zombie. It's just his the tone of his movies are very, very particular, very him. It's like if you see something on it splashed on TV, it's like that that looks like something Rob Zombie would do. <laughs> I, you know, I don't know. It well, just it's immediate. It's unapologetic. Yeah, he's, he's making the movie he wants to make, and totally. I can. Di- while some of it might be a, even just a little too graphic for me. Yeah. Um. 
I can appreciate that level of, of freedom and honesty. And in fact, I just watched this documentary called the rise and fall of the slasher flick. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm. and there's a whole section on him talking about house of a thousand corpses, how he got money and he got backing and everything to make it. And it was, it had a distributor. And then when they showed it, everybody freaked out about it and he was thrilled because then he got to buy it back and own his movie. And so then he could distribute it the way he wanted to and still sort of retain the rights to his own film. And, um, I, I don't know. I just, I really appreciate that. It's, it's this kind of like bare bones ramshackle craftsmanship of a particular genre and a particular style that is unique to him. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, No one else makes movies like that. No. Yeah. It's the closest I can, again, it's like Dario Argento, like some of the, like the, the, the intense colors that Mm -hmm. are in like house of a thousand corpses and Lords of Salem. Again, the, um, the devil's rejects is so different because it's such a harrowing film. You know, there's a lot of like the scenes where they're in the, in the motel room and with like, uh, Brian is it Brian Posehn. Yeah. Is that who that is? And, um, the, 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 um, What's her name from Three's Company? She yeah, like it's just the roommate. depravity yeah. of it, like in the like the you know the aggression, the violence of it is so much more. Because the other his other films are cartoonish in a way, you know, because he's a big fan of those old Hammer like those kinds of movies and you know stuff out of the sixties and seventies, the grindhouse stuff where it's just, sure. just these intense like colors and goofiness, you know. At least that's kind of what's like um what is it uh, how Billy Deluxe like his movies always look like that album, yeah, <laughs> you know, with all like the intense. Colors. What's the one with the numbers at 42 or something like that? You know, 31. 31, yeah. That yeah. one was just brutal for reality's yeah. sake. It's yeah. kind of hard to watch. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, yeah. I am looking forward to Three from Hell. That'll be out soon. Um, hopefully. <laughs> they showed like the trailer during his concert, but that was last June now or July. Hmm. So it's like, come on. Let's, we're ready. We're ready for the Firefly family to return. Um, anyways, back to audition. <laughs> uh any other any last thoughts before we close out the episode? I hope to never watch this film again. <laughs> All right, that's perfectly okay. Uh, I, I again, I was trying to think earlier how many times I've seen it. Probably six, seven, eight times because it's definitely when I first got. I showed it to a lot of people. I used to show it at, when I had um, the my bloody Valentine parties. I'd show that fatal, oh, with Fatal Attraction, you mm-hmm. know, uh, Basic Instinct. It's definitely it's one of those kind of you know movies. Um. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm sure I'll watch it again. I, I enjoy it. <laughs> See, now the two films that, like, have scarred me are two films that are also not English films, like English-American films. Yeah, which, again, I think is there's a visual language that's mm-hmm. a little different. There's something yeah. happening, you know. Oh, this is also at the forefront of all of that, too. I remember when this came out, because this is before Saw. And so mm-hmm. I remember seeing it and, you know, it's been credited as kind of kicking off a lot of that, inspiring people like Eli Roth and, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, the, you know, the, these filmmakers who went on to be like, wow, we can get away with this. Like, yeah. I mean, she saw that guy's foot off <laughs> and, yeah. and they showed it, you know? Um, so it's like, I think it's, it's the, the progenitor to, you know, pushing those boundaries. People were really influenced and inspired by it. Yeah. 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 You know, and you see that then throughout the 2000s. I like where we're at now with horror, though. I like that we've kind of come back around to a little more thoughtful stuff, you know, like Hereditary and Get Out. Yeah. Um, but it'll be curious. I'm, I'm wondering kind of when it'll come back around to his ultra-violent, you know, films, if, if ever. You yeah. Know? You should check out that documentary. The, yeah. The, I think it's on Amazon. 
the rise and fall of the slasher film. It was really fascinating. I know it's a book too. I think kind of like horror noir. It's mm-hmm. that's a textbook. Yeah. Um, uh, so I think I've seen the book too. Maybe I have to look um, if, if 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 it is what I what I'm thinking of. But all right, well, cool, awesome little conversation here. We're still you know figuring out what this movie's about. Yeah, <laughs> but it horrified Joe. So yay points to me. I get that point. You should end this episode with careless whisper. Right. <laughs> oh, I love it. <laughs> Let's get sued. No. Yeah. Thank, you. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Thank you yeah. for coming. Thank you for coming. This Definitely come awesome. back. Yeah. I would yeah. love to anytime. It was yeah. An honor. I love your show. Thank you. Thank you. Long time we... listener, first time caller. Yes. We love having you. Um, <laughs> I love that. It, this, I, I, I love having you and I, I can't wait to watch now, like, you know. The werewolf, the American werewolf, werewolf in London. American werewolf oh, in London. So yeah, great. we should definitely do. Uh, we should definitely do that. We'll put that on the list and uh, and uh, have you back. So. Add it to the pile. All right, Joe. Well, uh, I'd say sweet dreams, but I don't think there's a chance in hell. <laughs> no, not sleeping tonight. Uh, <laughs> uh, I will. And all of this conversation about like apps, it's like, well, maybe I'll maybe I unsubscribe from a lot of the gay apps <laughs> for a little bit and uh, I will now just masturbate. Um, OK, okay. <laughs> sounds like a plan. All righty. Well, good night, dear listener. Make and, them uh, sip first. Yes, make them. Oh, God. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> Things to think about. Yes. All right. Have a good night. Fright School is produced by Joshua Napier and Joe Farron. Our intro was edited by Davy Boy Productions. Our logo was designed by Jamie Channel Guzman. Episodes are edited and engineered by Joe Farron. Fright School is produced in terrifyingly beautiful San Diego, California. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.